What is the weirdest thing that you believe? Everybody seems to have some far out belief. Some people believe in aliens. Some people believe in Bigfoot. Some people believe that a government mandated income tax is constitutional. Everybody has some wacky belief out there. Let me give you mine. Mine is that spiritual beings descended to Earth and they reproduced offspring with human women and that this happened about 5,000 years ago. Now, where would I get an idea like that? Well, it's from a little something called the Bible. So last week we established who the sons of God are. The sons of God are first mentioned in Genesis 6 and they engaged in some kind of rebellion against God and it involved marrying human women. Now that we've laid that groundwork of who they are, we need to take the next step in understanding what they did. And I'm telling you, it is the weirdest thing that I believe. But I have to believe it because it's in the Bible. And I believe the Bible, okay? It's a lot more reliable than the U.S. tax code. So grab your Bible, turn with me, let's look at Genesis 6, and let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about the Nephilim. Last week, I did an episode discussing why the sons of God are spiritual beings, and you could call them angels, but I consider that to be kind of a general term. They're a specific type of angel, really, that are called the sons of God. And I believe they're also the same classification as what is called a watcher in the book of Daniel. And so these watchers or sons of God are assigned to certain territories and they are to observe those territories and act as spiritual representatives for them before God. They're even present at God's divine council meetings to report on what is going on with humanity. You can actually read about that in the first couple chapters of Job. And some of the sons of God fell in love, or perhaps we could call it falling in lust, with human women. And this was an event that occurred back before the flood of Noah. They apparently created or manifested in physical bodies and tried to cohabitate with women. We read about, we read about this in Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So basically, they married human women. And once you stop and observe the text and realize this fact, all of a sudden, it gets really strange to accept the sons of God as angelic beings. People don't want to do that anymore. You will see Bible readers declare this as too weird, and they start trying to come up with alternative explanations of who the sons of God are. That's why I spent last week's episode just trying to explain and prove that the sons of God are indeed angels or spiritual beings. But I will admit, it's, it's, it is strange. It raises a lot of questions. How could spiritual beings create physical bodies? Well, I, I hate to keep saying this. I'm going to explain more about that in a future episode. But these are all subjects that I do plan to talk about down the road. Okay. It's actually quite easy, easy to demonstrate this. And, and angels in many times in scripture are capable of creating physical bodies and interacting with the physical world. But then there's a second objection or a second question that arises when we talk about this. How could the sons of God do this without God's permission? And the answer is, they didn't. They didn't have God's permission, but they went and did it anyway. Now, maybe they were influenced by Satan. Perhaps the book of Enoch will shed some light on this, and I think I'd like to get into that later as well. But regardless, God was pretty upset with the angels for doing this. And God has these angels right now locked away 
in the deepest dungeon of hell for taking these actions. Jude 6 says the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. 2 Peter 2, 4 also talks about this. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So it says it right there again. And that word for hell in the Greek is the is the Greek word Tartarus. It's referring to the deepest and darkest part of hell. So these sons of God were dealt with in a pretty harsh, we might say, or strong manner for their actions that they took here in Genesis 6. And why is it so harsh? Why did God come down on them so hard? What did this intermarriage with humans accomplish? Well, let's go back to Genesis and let's keep reading. So Genesis 6, 3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And let me just make a side note on this verse. Some people take this verse to mean that God is putting a limit on the lifespan of human beings. And basically from this point on, man is going to live no longer than 120 years. That is actually not what it's saying right here. What it's telling us is that from the time that the stuff happened in verse 2, God put a countdown of 120 years. And then after that point, there was going to be the flood. So it's not a, a limit on mankind's lifespan. It's saying that this thing with, with the sons of God coming down, this took place about 120 years before the flood. So then it says in Genesis 6, 4, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now that's what it says in the ESV version of the Bible. Other translations that you read might call them giants. But the Hebrew term right here is something more like Nephilim. And most normal Christians, as they're reading their Bible, they read about the Nephilim or they read about the giants right here in Genesis 6, 4. And they're really not quite sure what that means. So they just go on to verse 5 and they just kind of keep reading along. And that is what a normal Christian would do. But this is not a podcast for normal Christians because the Bible is not a normal book. It's a weird book. And so let's dig down right here and let's understand what is going on. The Nephilim are somewhat a different race than just regular humans. They had a spirit-infused DNA. They were considered gigantic in their size. I'm not saying these were 100 stories tall, something like Jack and the Beanstalk, when, when we think of a giant. I'm not talking about just this massive, um, unbelievable size, like as tall as a mountain or a tree. What I am saying is they were perhaps a few feet taller than your average human was in height. It's predicted that the typical human male was probably closer to five feet tall back at this time, going back into ancient times. They were probably closer to five feet than six feet when it when it comes down to how tall they were. Now, I'm not sure. I, I have no idea if that's true. But the Nephilim seem to range in more from seven to ten feet tall. So we read about them in Scripture. And again, some translations will outright call them the giants. In the next couple episodes, we're going to discuss how they keep showing up again and again throughout the Old Testament. And we'll also trace how their name changes over time. They're called by different names. They're sometimes called the Rephaim or the Anakim. But we're going to stay in Genesis 6 for today. And it calls these the people, um, the men of renown or the mighty men. Okay. And it, I know that can, that's a little confusing. It almost it makes them sound kind of noble or heroic right there. What I think it actually means is that they were notorious. Okay. They, they were a scourge on the earth. 
these giants, these Nephilim. And it's interesting that virtually every ancient society or culture, they have stories of these giants, the giants who once roamed the earth. Uh, just like every culture that's been around for a few thousand years, they almost always have a flood story, a time that the whole earth was covered by a flood. You know, that's not just from the Bible. All past cultures knew about this. They all remember. They all have stories of the flood, the great deluge. Likewise, they all have stories of the giants. In fact, even Buffalo Bill, the, uh, who, as he was compiling stories from the Native Americans, he even heard from them about these huge people. He wrote this in his autobiography. It came out in the 1920s. Literally, guys, just about 100 years ago, this book came out. And this is what he wrote. He says, while we were in the Sandhills scouting the Neobara country, the Pawnee Indians brought into camp some very large bones, one of which the surgeon of the expedition pronounced to be the thigh bone of a human being. The Indians said the bones were those of a race of people who had long ago lived in that country. They said these people were three times the size of a man of the present day, that they were so swift and strong that they could run by the side of a buffalo and taking the animal in one arm could tear off a leg and eat it as they ran. So apparently the traditions of the Native Americans that, that uh, as you might have seen before in movies and stuff, they'll hold up one hand whenever they meet strangers. And this goes back a, a long ways in the Native American um, history. The, apparently, though, that was to show that they only had five fingers because the giants were known to have six fingers on each hand. So I know people hear this. They think, oh, well, that's that's just Native American legend, folklore, all that kind of, you know, the myths that they that they make up. Perhaps, but it's interesting that these same stories of six-finger giants that they show up lots and lots of times, lots and lots of different places throughout history, and of course, right here in the Bible, there's stories of the ancient uh, Paiute Indians. I don't, I know, I'm not saying this right. It's spelled P-A-I-U-T-E. So I'm, I apologize for not knowing how to say that properly. But they have a, they have a story of trapping some red-haired giants at a place called Lovelock Cave in Nevada. And they said that these giants were violent and cannibalistic. Finally, the Pouty Indians decided that they needed to do whatever it took to wipe them out. So they trapped them in this cave. The cave has since been excavated. And there's been conflicting reports about whether the, the skeletons that they found in the caves were actually gigantic in size. Okay, it was dug out like a century ago. And so the evidence is not something people can go back and look at today, except that they, they did find sandals in this cave. That were much larger than what would fit on a on a on a human foot, and so and they did find mummified remains that had red hair. Uh, if you look at the ancient Mesopotamian le legends, they they talk about the what's called the Apkalu. This is considered a Mesopotamian myth. Okay, now I believe it's a real legend or a real myth, but you know some aspects could have been changed over time. I think there's a truth at the core of it, and when you look at Mesopotamia, that region. They have the stories of the Apkalu, the ancient giants, okay? Or what they called the Titans of Greek mythology. They are half-human, half-god creatures, okay? And listen to this headline. I just read this earlier this summer, and, uh, and I just kind of kept it saved on my computer because it just fascinated me. Here's a headline. It says, Mysterious 300—no, let me start that over. Mysterious giant 300,000-year-old hand axes were found at an Ice Age site in England. Scientists can't work out why they are so big. And so may maybe we'll go back to this story and dive deeper into it on a later episode. This was reported on Business Insider, that, which is actually a major news source. You know, I, I know a lot of news is fake nowadays, 
But my point is like, this was not put out on some conspiracy theory fringe blog. This is Business Insider right here. And they say these particular hand axes are so big, it's difficult to imagine how they could have been easily held and used. And they described the, the axes as giant. And I'm like, well, probably because they were wielded by giants. <laughs> and so as you read on in the Bible, you're going to read about giants and they had spears that were described as massive. And so these axes that were discovered in England, they, they were discovered in ice sediments in a place called Medway Valley that's located in Kent of Southern England. And there was one line in the report that was kind of funny. It said, right now, we aren't sure why such large tools are being made or which species of early human were making them. And so I thought that was kind of funny. Which species of early human? It's just such an interesting phrase as they found these gigantic axes. And so anyway, we could go on and look at lots of different ancient cultures and we could talk about this. We could talk about how they had stories of the giants, the Apkalu, the Titans. It's just all over the place as you go in ancient legends, as some call it. But I find it so fascinating. We see them show up even here in a, in the Western Hemisphere with the Native Americans, a totally different side of the world than Mesopotamia and England and all that. It's everywhere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. So it's pretty interesting. You might recall that the Israelites were afraid to take the promised land when they first came upon it in Numbers 13. And they claimed that there were giants in the land. Okay, so this is all through the Bible, and it's all through ancient history. And and these giants, they were exceptionally tall, they were exceptionally strong, and they were exceptionally fast. And what we're going to see next also is that these were very evil beings. So they made a Noah movie about a decade ago. I think it was just called Noah. And uh, I, I saw it in theaters once, never seen it again. I thought it was total trash. It just got so many things wrong. And one of the things that it got wrong is that it made the Nephilim in this movie, that they, they were these angels who had rebelled against God. And then they got cast out of heaven. And so as an act of repentance in the movie, they assist Noah in getting on the ark. And so since they do this, God forgives them and beams them up to heaven. And uh, and not only that, they were also, they weren't even like, they weren't giants in the sense that that the real Nephilim were. They were like these rock creatures. And so there was just a lot of stuff that was factually inaccurate, you might say, about this. It's Hollywood trying to make a Christian movie, and they they didn't really try that hard at all. So they got it totally wrong, totally off base. And and the and the truth is, as you read it carefully, the Nephilim were not the same as the sons of God or the fallen angels. Okay, the the real Nephilim were not angels who rebelled against God long ago. The sons of God were the creatures who rebelled against God. The Nephilim were their offspring, and the Nephilim did not help Noah. They did not repent. They acted exceedingly wicked in Genesis chapter six. Uh, starting at verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And so basically for a 120 year period, the Nephilim grew in population across the earth and it's my belief that that they probably these Nephilim had um, reproductive encounters with other people throughout that time period. And so by the time of the flood actually happening, 
there are lots and lots of people all over planet Earth who have some trace of Nephilim DNA in their bloodline that this, you know, they, it just spread across the planet and that this created a very wicked and evil society. And so God looks at what has become of mankind and God has to wipe it out. It says in verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let me just make a note right here before I go on. There's a lot of ways you can translate verse 9. The English Standard Version says, blameless in his generation. King James puts it, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And I think this gets to the idea of what was so special about Noah a little bit better. It's saying when it says he was perfect in his generations, he had a perfect bloodline. He was a good man whose DNA had not been tainted by the Nephilim. And so in his whole family history, there had been no messing around with the sons of God or the Nephilim or anything like that. And so one of the the major reasons that Noah and his family were chosen to, to save the human race, it's because their bloodline was pure. And, um, and I'll go on, but I think this knowledge, I think this brings better context and clarity to understand what is going on in Genesis 6. So verse 11, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so saying that they had corrupted flesh, I think that's an ancient way of saying that that basically their DNA had been tainted with this evil bloodline. And it had produced these extra tall, extra evil, violent beings. And so this is why God had to send a flood to wipe everything out. Because it basically, if it had continued on much longer, all flesh would have been corrupted. God would have had no one to send the promised Messiah through because he had said he would send it through one of Eve's descendants. If the whole bloodline gets corrupted, God's not going to have anyone to send the Messiah through. And so God had to put a stop to this, wipe everything away and start fresh with somebody who had the uncorrupted bloodline. Now, you might be having a question at this point. Maybe you're saying, wait a second, wait a second. If God wiped out all the Nephilim during the flood of Noah, then how were there more Nephilim to come later? Well, it's because the Bible actually says the sons of God tried this again later on after the flood. They thought, I guess they thought it worked so well the first time. Let's try it again. You know, God said he wasn't going to send another flood. So maybe they thought that this would give him a chance to do it again and that they wouldn't be stopped this time. And, And how do I know this? Well, we basically, we already read it back in verse four. It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. King James Version, it says there were giants on the earth in those days and also after that. So the Nephilim or the giants, they were part of the pre-flood history, but it was not just pre-flood. We see them again post-flood. The sons of God tried it again, but this time post-flood, mankind fought back. And so next time on this podcast, we are going to talk about that. We're going to go to that moment that the Israelites sent the 12 spies into the promised land, and they saw these gigantic creatures who were called the sons of Anak. So make sure you're subscribed because I want you to get that episode. And it's also going to bring us back to the book of Jude as well. 
for everything that I've said today. I know it's been a little out there, a little wild, especially if you've never heard anything like this before. So if you got a question about it, if you have an objection to it, if you want, if you want to tell me anything at all, weird stuff in the Bible at gmail.com. That is the, the place. Or if you're on a platform that does comments, you can leave a comment and hopefully I will see it and, uh, and we can talk about this. <laughs> We're going to keep talking about it as we go forward. Uh, in closing, I just want to mention this. Jesus said that the last days are going to be like two specific times in biblical history, two specific periods of time. In Luke 17, 26, he says, just as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Now, when Jesus said that, was he referring to the Nephilim and the giants? I got to tell you, I have no idea. All right. He didn't mention any of those things. but. I would point out that this was such an accepted part of Noah's story. Perhaps it's implied, you know, because everybody knew about what happened back then. Maybe just him saying that implies all these things about the Nephilim. I'm not sure. All right. I'm not sure one way or another. But he also said this in verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Okay. So, and let me stop there. The book of Jude, which I believe is the book about the world right before the end of the world, okay? The book of Jude tells us to learn some lessons from the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And so we're going to get back into the book of Jude next time on this podcast. We need to start figuring out what those lessons were. But I would say we have now laid the groundwork for understanding Jude's context that he was pointing to as he taught those lessons. But we're going to stop right here for today. So if you think that believing in half-human giants is weird, I hope that you're a little bit more weird today, too. It's the weirdest thing I believe in, but I do believe it because it's what the Bible says. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end, and we will see you next time. 